Tucked away from the city, Raccoon Creek is your go-to golf course. Their location in Littleton provides more than just a beautiful golfing experience. They have the perfect setting for year-round events with unbelievable views. It's a fun place to golf, but it's a different atmosphere. It's a really nice course and it's fast greens. They have a good crew there, so it's always in good shape. They're having uh, comedy shows. They got like this really cool fire pit in the back now. It's changed a lot. There's a whole, whole new patio that has like the best views in Colorado. I think you can see the mountains, you see the golf course. You know, it's kind of like Cheers. Everybody knows your name and your handicap. That was Todd. He's been golfing at Raccoon Creek for years now, and it's his favorite golf course in the area because of the environment that they've created. Raccoon Creek has embraced technology, adding golf board rentals to their course, as well as updating their golf carts to be equipped with GPS that provides score updates of sporting events and live scoring for outings and tournaments. They also have an app where you can schedule tee times, receive happy hour specials, and stay up to date on all of their upcoming events. Download their app today and receive a free bucket of balls, or check them out online at raccooncreek.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. Welcome into the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. It's Monday. It's part two of the X-Factors of the Central Division here. Today we're going to be talking about Dallas, Nashville, and Chicago. Let's go ahead and start with that last one in Chicago, AJ. I think they are maybe the biggest question mark here. They're the team that didn't make the playoffs of these three last season, and They were in the mix at the end. I think they were better than a lot of people were expecting them to be. One of the X factors we've talked about a lot on this show is Dylan Strom. Can he repeat that incredible performance? It's a huge factor for gauging how seriously everybody needs to take Chicago. Because if he's the real deal and he lives up to that potential, I mean, this is a guy that was drafted ahead of Mitch Marner, Miko Rantanen. Provorov, Vorensky, all those guys. This is this is the guy drafted right behind McDavid and Eichel. Yep. And, I mean, had one of the more dominant junior careers in recent memory. So, not even a huge surprise, right? But the skating was always a question mark. The you know, slow development. Uh, but, you know, we saw a guy that thoroughly destroyed every level he's ever played at. And then for whatever reason, it just wasn't showing up in Arizona. Some of the reason also probably being that he was not getting very much ice time. And naturally, you see this guy gets an opportunity with Chicago. Suddenly, things are a little bit different. Yeah, yeah it's it's got to feel nice when something like that goes right for a player and then they get a change of scenery and a new situation where their skills come out and they can thrive. But small sample size still for what is essentially half a season in Chicago. And there was a lot of things that went right for Chicago this past year. Jonathan Tays having a career year. Can he repeat something like that? Uh, they did get Corey Crawford back for some of last season. And now they have Robin Leonard, a much more 
comfortable player to to be in net for them mm-hmm. if Corey Crawford can't do it. Yeah, the uh, the revolving door behind Crow there has kind of been, uh, well, a revolving door. <laughs> uh, it's it's just been like this never ending rotation of who and yep. who and yep. who, and you know, Colin Delia was a uh, fun story, I guess, last year for a couple of games, but quickly returned back to earth and was, you know, humbled a little bit. And, you know, we, we saw they, they went out and I think the Leonard thing is interesting from both perspectives, because if this works out, then they can just make a smooth transition. Yeah. To Leonard as the starter and Corey Crawford as a as a longtime favorite, thirty four years old. Uh, if he's willing to be the backup, they could just kind of transition those guys, uh, and then you don't have to callously say goodbye to uh, a franchise icon for them. But with Leonard, there's obviously the possibility of you're getting a, a high level starter here, and could be the man for them moving forward the next several years if he performs well in his one-year tryout deal here with the Blackhawks. Right. It's it's a very interesting situation there because they both do only have one year left on their deal. Obviously, Leonard just signed for one year, but you have to think they would want to get one of those guys locked up for longer term, probably mm-hmm. before the season is over. Yeah. So it, it could be a, it could be a straight-up battle for that spot in net for the first half of the season. Yeah, and I mean Crawford needs, you know, realistic he needs to be realistic going into this that yeah. he's probably not getting a multi-year deal unless he goes out and wins a Vesna. Right. You know, like he's and even then he's probably still looking at like a two-year deal. Um but it's, you know, cuz at his age, you know, he there's seven years difference between these two guys. Uh that one of them they they they're fine just playing out the string with Crawford and whatever. Um, you know, Kat Silverman has talked a lot about this, um, in, in, in the past that teams, I think are starting to lean more towards moving away from that, like 65 to 68 game starter and run him into the ground in the regular season. Yeah. Uh, and, and more towards a, a true like platoon, uh, manage the, manage the workload and, uh, you know, keep them fresh for the postseason kind of approach with their goaltenders. And this year they'll have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's It should not be hard to to throw either of those goalies in that and be confident in what you have back there. Now, what you have in front of them on that blue line, not as confident. <laughs> that is, you know, and they've they've made moves the last several years to try and shore it up. They have, you know, they the Connor Murphy, and now this off season they get Calvin DeHaan and Olimata. Calvin DeHaan is a lot of people know is one of my favorite players in the entire league. Um, a very very good defender who's not going to give you a whole lot of offense, but is is steady in his own end and does does good work. Solid second pairing defender that you can rely on in in your own zone, and then. 
you know, Murphy's got bad boots, and you have the same thing with only only Mata. They're both young and they're both signed for a couple of years at okay money, but they, you know, for different reasons. Only Mata had a string of injuries that slowed him down. Yep. Um, and Connor Murphy's just always been a bad skater. So you're you're talking about a couple of guys that you know, what are you what are you trying to contend with in the in the NHL? What is the, what's the number one thing that teams are loading up on uh to to attack you? And it's speed. Yep. And they've gone out and they've gotten two heavy footed guys who are signed for the next three years to go along with two defenders in Seabrook and Keith who are 30, 34 and thirty six years old respectively. And signed for a thousand years. Right. So certainly not getting any faster there. And and Seabrook he, is the one of the slowest defensemen in the league, probably. So yeah, and not far behind him, we're going to be is going to be Ole Modern Connor Murphy. Right. And you know Eric Gustafson is coming off an amazing season, which he randomly out of nowhere drops sixty points. Yep. Uh, and you know you're like, wow, okay. I mean, he's always he's always shown offensive acumen everywhere he's been. But 60-point seasons don't just drop out of the sky. And, <laughs> you know, even even if you cut 10 goals off of the 17 goals explosion he had, you know, you're still he's still a 50-point guy for you. Uh, so yep. what, what happens with him and his development, especially defensively, because he was a train wreck defensively in that system that they had, which was total and utter chaos. Uh, you talk about... Uh, Jeremy Jeremy Colleton is the head coach, and he's a super young guy. And what's you know what's the plan? You know, obviously the offense responded to what they wanted to, to do. It was very run and gun, uh, and and they've tried to address the defensive position uh, this this summer with with Dehan and Mata. And I don't know that it's going to be enough, man. Uh, that's they're. I like the players in a vacuum. I think you can, you know, if you have one of those guys on your defense, he can help you out. But loading up on slower defensemen is a really weird tactic. Yeah. Especially uh, when I would realize that I'm paying my bottom pairing nearly $11 million for the next three years. Yeah, that would make me want to take a drink or two. So it's time to take a second and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it before and you guys are going to love it. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they are calling this a lighthearted Kolsch ale, but for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that lighthearted, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer, and make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. We launched it not too long ago. You'll be able to see all of our events that we have planned there, and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So our RSVP and have a good time. Another quick note there. We do have an event coming up this Friday. 
that will involve drinking Breckenridge Brewery beer, I'm sure. AJ, you know the exact bars we're going to, so you can fill them in on this, but we are going on a bar crawl of sorts in downtown Denver. Yeah, we uh, Friday night we are starting at Blake Street Tavern. Uh, and then we will work our way down through downtown. We're going to go from Blake Street Tavern to Sports Column, and then we'll finish up at Ice House. Uh, all different uh, bars that are sponsors for us. Uh, and we're going to just bar crawl through yeah. downtown on for, on a Friday night. Uh, you know, we're starting at, starting at, I believe, 7.30 at Blake Street Tavern. And then we're just going to work our way through. We've got pitchers of beer. Um, we're going to play some flip cup. We're going to do some beer pong when we get to Ice House. Uh, we're doing tons of giveaways. We're giving away shirts. We're giving away gift cards to all of the bars that we will be uh, attending, as well as um, gift cards to the Milk Market, which, if you've never been, is a really fun place to spend a like a Sunday afternoon. And then also, and certainly not uh, irrelevant here, <laughs> we're giving away tons of tickets to uh, a bunch of different sporting events, a bunch of different teams. Um, Lindsay will have all those details. Uh, that's just what they've told me as I'm dying here because I've got the coughs today. Uh, but that's, that's what we're up to on, on Friday night. Uh, it's going to be a really, really good time. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. We've never done one of these before. Uh, we put out the event all over Twitter. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, make sure that you RSVP, buy your tickets. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I expect I at least will be there. I'm trying to talk Rudo into joining me. It's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. We're hoping that we uh, we see you guys out there. Uh, it should be it should be a really fun night. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try and make it. You just can't go wrong walking through downtown Denver and knocking back a few. It's just well, a good time. And like a like a Friday night, you yeah, know, exactly. as, as long as we don't get crazy storms again. Which this summer, who knows? <laughs> because this has been insane. Uh, but. We're, we're hoping that it's going to be a, a fun, like, cool evening, you know, seven, like a classic Denver night in the summer, 75 degrees, a little breezy, uh, nice and, and, and full of beer and laughter and, and good company. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been hot lately, so maybe a little bit of coolness would be nice for the, for the evening, but. If not, the beers can take care of that, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever whatever heat wave we're feeling, the the beer will help. Will help. So there you go. Uh, let's, let's jump back into Chicago here. Do you think Jonathan Taze can have a repeat of a career year for him? He's 31 now, four years left at $10.5 million. I look at that contract and it, it makes me cringe a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, Kane, you're feeling great about Kane, right? Yeah, you're like, absolutely. Oh, we've only got four more years of that contract, man. We're, we're, we're kind of bumming about that. Uh, he, a guy who has multiple 100-point seasons since signing that deal. Uh, but Taves, you're, you're feeling a lot better today than you were a year ago with him coming off a third straight 50-point season. Uh, but... Can he do it again? Uh, well, you know, some of that's going to depend on the line mates. He certainly got helped by being around better players last year. Yep. Uh, you know, and it's it's funny how that works, right? It's funny <laughs> how you put these guys next to high caliber players and they, they produce for you in a way that you're like, oh, well, okay then. So 
it's you know we'll we'll see. Uh, I let's I I don't expect it to be to that level again, but it certainly didn't feel fluky when it was happening. Like it wasn't like you know, and I haven't I haven't looked, but it didn't it didn't feel anecdotally it didn't feel like he was riding a crazy percentage wave where it was like whoa, you know, this is definitely coming right. back down to earth. Right, it wasn't out of line. Yeah. It it just felt like a a great player having a great season. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't really have any argument there. I I just wonder it's too early to say age is going to catch up with him, but when does the fall off start? For some players we see it starting as early as early 30s, for others mm-hmm. they they can last well into their late 30s and and I'm just not sure where that will fall with Taze. Yeah, and I just Pulled it up out of curiosity. He's not writing any major crazy percentage. Uh, there you go. Wave like he shot fourteen point nine percent last year, uh, but you'd be a lot more concerned about that if he wasn't a fourteen point one percent career shooter. Yeah, so that's not at all outside the range of normal. Yeah, uh, the previous two years were the weird ones where he shot ten point six and nine point five. Uh, the two lowest in his career. So for yeah. him to kind of get it back is one thing, but it's. You know the eighty-one points is a major outlier in his in a in a career sure. where he'd only ever surpassed seventy points one time. Yeah, it definitely, and that was what six seven years ago. So yeah, more yeah. Back when they were man. dynasty mode, just the beginning of dynasty mode. Yeah, that was just his fourth season in the NHL when that happened. So yeah. his his points. This is why I've always kind of maintained he's always been one of the more overrated players in the NHL uh, because. The, the points have never been special for him. Yeah. The two-way play and the leadership and all the intangibles, like, guy's awesome. And I've never, you know, never taken away. But it's kind of like the O'Reilly conversation, except if people were talking about O'Reilly as a top-five player in the league. <laughs> well, you know? depends on who you ask, maybe. But... <laughs> but, well, I mean, like, this is a guy that he's been in all-star games and he's yeah. in the Selkie conversation every year, whether or not he belongs Right. It's a different conversation, but he's got like multiple uh, top five finishes in the Selkie, uh, tons of all star appearances. Like he's he's like the souped up version of O'Reilly's career. Because uh, if you look at if you look at their points in any given year, they're almost always in the same Similar. point range. Yeah. yeah, even this last year, they each had big career years that were out of line with the rest of their careers. So it's yeah. it's actually kind of weird. I'd never really thought about it before, but looking at his career like this, it's like there's a lot of fifty and sixty point seasons, dude. Yep, it's. I definitely think the some of the money he was paid is because of that C on his chest. To be fair, yeah. Well, and and they definitely didn't want to draw a line between well, who's better between Tate right. and Kane, right? And so they're like, all right, well, we're happy to pay Kane this and get the get what we get out of him. Uh, because, I mean, Patrick Patrick Kane is a easy, easy, easy Hall of Fame player. Yeah. When it's when it's all said and done, nine hundred games played, he's a point per game player through that through that span. Uh, you're not even, I mean, you're not even messing around. That's a that's such an easy. Uh, yeah, Hall lock of Fame it guy. in. First ballot, no problem. <laughs> yeah, and and Taves, I think with the last couple of years, you know, he was he was in like the NHL's like top 100 ever, and 
Uh, yeah, that's a different you know. story, I think. But well, and, and like that was like that was riding the recency wave bias. Yeah, for sure. Uh, or sorry, the recency bias wave where he was, you know, he was he just the Chicago had won three cups and he was the captain and you know all this. Like he's a great two way player, but it's always felt like it's been a little heavy handed with him, yeah, uh, especially because in their in their cup runs he. He was great in both cup runs, and or in two of the three cup runs, he was great. Yeah, he, in the playoffs, he came up clutch for them regularly. <laughs> yeah, and he's been an he's been an awesome player in the postseason, and that's that's where you really get elevated in the NHL. You know, for that's sure. where <laughs> that's where legacies are truly, truly built. Not you know, you don't worry about a fifty-two point regular season. If you go out and you go point per game in the postseason and lead your team to a Stanley Cup, you know it doesn't it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? But problem is, is that when he was having fifty point regular seasons, they were missing the playoffs. And are they going to be able to get back to that? The fact that they got a career year out of him and they missed the postseason should be extremely worrisome to them. Yeah, that's because that, that is a concern. <laughs> how much better can you reasonably expect uh, that group to be up front? Yeah. You know, they brought back, got rid of Anisimov and they brought back uh, Andrew Shaw to, to take that three C's job. Uh, You know, they, they did the Zach Smith cap swap thing uh, where they, they saved money in the cap to get rid of Anisimov who was kind of pushed out. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's all about the young stars there now. It's, it's all about, okay, well, Kane and Taves are there, but it's, it's really what's going to happen next is going to be so dependent on, uh, Eric Gustafson and Dylan Strom and, and Alex DeBrincat being for real. For sure. Those guys it's, all have to be big hits. It's certainly big shoes to fill for them. Uh, beyond that, Cat Friendly has them as 10 NHL forwards signed. Brendan Perlini and RFA will make it 11. What are some graduations you see there? Can a Kirby Doc jump straight into the NHL? Would you see someone else? They traded for Alex Nylander. Mm-hmm. I don't see it there. They traded for Alexi Sorella. That one may be a little bit more realistic as a player that can jump into the NHL for them. I think, uh, I think those guys, as well as John Quinville and Dylan Sakura. Yeah, those are all guys that I think should be in that conversation for them. Uh, Kirby Doc is more of a uh, what do you want to do with him? You know, like show him up at camp, and if you want him to be your three C this year, okay, fine. But you know, then why did you go out and get Andrew Shaw? Yeah. You know, you you knew when you had that that you were you were gonna get in Kirby Doc, right? So it's their graduations are interesting, uh, you know, because I do really like. I've always been a big Sorella fan, big Sorella fan, and Nylander, You never know, right? Right. Yeah. Like, you never know. Everybody had given up on Dylan Strom too. Um, well, not everybody, but a lot of people <laughs> had given up on Dylan Strom. And so maybe, you know, maybe they put Nylander with, with Kirby Doc on like a third line and those guys find magic together and oh my gosh, now now they're crazy deep at forward. Right. 
you know, so they have some interesting graduation candidates uh, that that should definitely be in the mix there, especially because a guy like Brendan Perlini is nothing special. You know, he was a top 15 pick in 2014, but, you know, you look at the 2014 draft and you're like, all right, that produced like seven NHL players. The rest of that draft was God awful. <laughs> and Perlini certainly wasn't anything special for Chicago. He wasn't bad or anything. It's just not a guy that you're like, We've got to build around, you know, we can't, we can't dare block him or put anybody in his way. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for Chicago. I think because of what you mentioned, I just don't know how much more they can get out of their lineup than they got last year. And they came up well short. Yeah. and, and I guess that's where the graduations do come in. If you get a graduation out of a Nylander, out of a Sorella, you mm-hmm. get the continued production out of Strom, that would definitely be game-changing for them. And I'm excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Nice. StravaCraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out if you haven't already. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all-natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. That's going to do it for segment one and Chicago. Coming up, we have maybe two of the better competitors based off of our our ranking system of the Central Division here. We'll go probably with Dallas first, and we will catch you on the other side. Second segment here of the BSN Avalanche podcast. I'm still Nathan. He's still AJ. We're talking about X-Factors and the Dallas Stars here. AJ, how has your weekend been now that it's over? It was honestly great, man. Uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, came out on the Switch on Friday, and it's the first time I've bought a game on release day in many, 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 many years. And uh, beat it last night, actually. Got to the final fight. Uh, Some weird weird tuning, uh, difficulty tuning in that game, because... Uh, there was one boss fight that was insane. Like, it was crazy. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times half the battle is figuring out boss mechanics, you know? Yeah. And, and like, okay, now that we've got the mechanics down, then we can go about mastering them. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was it was a big, big, uh, big step up. And then the next thing... Uh, <laughs> The next thing that we knew, there were regular enemies that were one-shotting us. Oh. And we were super confused because we were like, are we doing something wrong? <laughs> are we missing a game mechanic that's supposed to be handling this? And after about 10, 15 tries of being cute with it, we were like, okay, let's just be strategic and assume that we just they just missed something in the QA testing process <laughs> and let's, let's get to this, right? Like let's come up with a plan to deal with this. Yep. And so uh, PS, anybody, uh, anybody that does that use black Panther. They give, they, they give them to you for a reason. Just trust me. There you go. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, 
<laughs> it was it was it was a lot of fun. I I had a blast with it. Uh, Fire Emblem is coming out this weekend. Um, first time Fire Emblem has been on a console in I think in the West ever. Uh, yeah. I've only ever played them on the handhelds. handhelds. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm super amped up. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Three houses. It's gonna be so cool. Uh, I'm so excited to get my gaming on finally this summer. I've been messing around on World of Warcraft and like, which is like, it's fun, but I, I play it like semi-casually. I'm, I've been informed I can't call it casually because I worry too much about my eye level and the stats on my gear. Uh, so I can't, I can't say that I'm a filthy casual because I'm worried about that. But I also don't do like, like, like mythic raids and, you know, I don't, I don't get into like the serious content. So um, that's what I've been up to, um, with that, but everybody knows that I'm a gamer and when I can be, what I'm curious about Rudo, I want to ask what is, you know, what, what I want to spend the summer letting our listeners get to know you a little bit more. Most sure. of these people have been listening to me forever and ever and ever. <laughs> so, uh, those that don't know you, and there are plenty that are very familiar, uh, with you and, and, uh, the, the top of your wife's head and your chair. <laughs> Her so, teleporting abilities, yeah. That, that's right. Uh, <laughs> lots of people familiar with that, but I'm curious, uh, what is what is one thing about you that most people wouldn't know? Maybe not even, like, close friends. Ooh, that's a tough one. Let's see. Because, um, like, while you're, while, you're, while you're thinking about it, like, an example for me would be that most people don't know that I am a huge fan of, uh, like America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, uh, I've never watched them live on TV or anything, but I watch I watch them I watch all the stuff on YouTube. Sure, and like Golden Buzzer videos like make me cry, like openly like ball. And I would say that the vast majority of people that know me don't know that that's a thing that I am into. Yeah. Okay. Uh, kind of along the same vein. Uh, not as big as I used to be, but I used to be a very big anime fan. And I'm talking like watching them as they come out in Japan, subbed, keeping up with the current season of what's airing. And I don't quite do it anymore to that level, but I still watch a ton of anime when I can get it in. So... Very few people know that. <laughs> well, now I guess a lot of people know mean, that. But you mean to tell me that I'm sitting here doing this podcast with a weeaboo? Yeah, pretty much. You got to live with that now. <laughs> we should have had this conversation two months ago. <laughs> I even took some Japanese classes in college. So, oh my god, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> Uh, well, I guess it's too late. We're already in this room. Yeah, you're committed now. So, that's fine. <laughs> what, uh, I mean, since we're already here, what what were some favorites? Uh, so my favorite all-time anime is called Tiger and Bunny, which was a superhero anime that nobody knows, but more mainstream. If you watch my videos on YouTube, there is a poster of Asuna from SAO in the background that everyone can see. So that's a little bit of a giveaway. 
Um, let's see what else. I actually used to keep a list of all of the ones that I watched. Let's see if I still have it. Yeah, I do. Uh, I really liked Psychopaths, definitely one of my favorites, and Durarara are, are two classic ones that I really, really liked. Okay. <laughs> and you, just nothing? No, no idea what those are? No. Nope. <laughs> well, there's like two fans out there that watch anime that are either agreeing with me or, or saying I have horrible taste, so... <laughs> All right, <laughs> I uh, I can respect that. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, I like. I'm definitely not super adventurous with what I like. It's action anime. Give me, give me what I like. But I guess what drew me to anime in the first place is most anime have a set start point and a set end point. And I just got so tired of American television being like, the show just ends when we can't afford to make it anymore. These stories have, this is the end of the story. This is what happened. And now it's done. Yeah. And I will say, uh, I definitely think as we are seven minutes into this now, (laughs) uh, I definitely think that, that uh, American television has, has figured it out over the last decade or so. Yeah. A lot more shows have on. I mean, you don't see. Remember when? So I, I went through and I rewatched Lost recently, and yeah. season one, like twenty six episodes. Yep. Twenty six episodes. What in the, what in the world? Twenty six episodes for one season, and you can understand like it's a it's really difficult to do. <laughs> so. They started to figure out, and this was one of the best things that Netflix originals uh, helped really push, was that uh, seasons didn't need to be that long. You could tell a compact and complete story that was interesting and engaging in 10 to to 12. Right. Yeah, I I agree entirely. Not... They used to call them miniseries, right? One of my favorite yeah. shows of anything all time is Band of Brothers. Mm. And, and it's a 10-episode HBO show yeah. about World War II that's just – it's an amazing story. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm working my way through Dexter right now again. And that's yep. another show, you know, 10 episodes, 12 episodes. And that was one thing that American TV it – was, it was a slave to the advertisers. Yeah. And so it had to be – you know, you had to spread it out over 26 weeks. Yep. 22 weeks or whatever. You could for sure. You know, when you still see, of course those, those shows still exist. They're like procedural crime dramas, which for some reason, this country is absolutely obsessed with. My wife loves them. Yeah. My mom is like, Oh, I'm going to cut. I'm going to, I'm going to cord cut, but is there any way that I can keep my NCIS and my NCIS Los Angeles and, and my NCIS New York and my, and I'm like, Oh my God, mom, what are you serious with this? All right. So it's, uh, it's, it's insane. I I don't get it at all, but we're now nine and a half minutes into this. So let's, I'm 
Unfortunately, they don't have an NCIS Dallas Stars, so I guess we have to be the the crime scene investigators here. Yeah, and I have to I have to say, uh, this is one of the most uninteresting teams in the NHL. It really, really is. Which is why I have no issue hijacking their segment <laughs> to talk about nothing. <laughs> because this is a ba- this is basically the same team as last year. Uh, their their only meaningful additions are all old dudes that they're hoping can rediscover. Uh, a magical form here. You know, yep. Corey Perry, Andre Sakara, and Joe Pavelski are their big summer ads. Joe Pavelski got the exact contract that I wanted the abs to give him. Yeah. Right. Uh, at three years at $7 million. And I'm still a big believer in, in Pavelski as a good, uh, as a good player. I'm, I don't know where he's going to fit with them. Uh, he yeah. hasn't been a center for a long time and they don't have a second line center. So I'm really not sure. Not a real second line center. Like they're they're they've messed around with Jason Dickinson and Rupe Hintz and and Roddick Fox. Uh, I don't have any idea if Martin Hansel is ever going to be healthy again. Uh, so the 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 who's going to be the center on that second line remains a big question. But with Pavelski with Perry, hey, if it works, then they look like geniuses. But how many times has Jim Nill been the offseason winner and it translated to the ice? Yeah, it's if you want to gamble on age once, maybe twice, okay, but you're talking about three guys that are Sakara is the youngest of them at 33 and he's had massive injury problems his whole career, so mm-hmm. that's a lot of gambling for me. Yeah, and that's a defense, too, where they're kind of running it back with almost an identical group. Yeah. And given the success they had last year as one of the best defensive teams in the league, it's justifiable. You know, you yeah, have absolutely you have at your top, you have Heiskanen, uh, Klingberg, and Lindell as the top three, and that's really solid. A lot of teams would kill for that. But after that, I mean, Roman Polak, Andre Sakara, Jamie Alexiak, they they traded for Taylor Fadoon. Like, it's it's just it's very blah. It is, and their defense did get helped by Ben Bishop last year. It, Bishop's always been a solid goalie, but he played out of his mind last season oh you mean guys in their 30s don't you don't normally drop 934 save percentages and 1.98 goals against averages yeah it's like what jordan binnington did but on steroids exactly exactly and even in the playoffs he was a 933 and and tried to drag them past the blues with that absurd game seven or six both both Dallas had like three shots in 40 minutes of hockey. Yeah, they they were totally spent at the end of that series. And Ben Bishop was the only reason they were competitive. Yeah. But it wasn't just Bishop, man. My guy in former Houston Arrow, and I always say that, and I always will. <laughs> uh, Anton Kudobin had a 923 save percentage as their, their quote-unquote backup, who played 41 games last year. You got yeah. two goalies, ages 32 and 33, who are coming off of career years. Is it the defense that that did it so much, or was it two goalies who were absolutely locked in and were aces? It's always the question when when goalies yeah. are really good in a place. Oh well, you know we saw it for we saw it with Brian Elliott his entire time in St. Louis. Oh well, behind that defense, anybody could be good. It was like yeah, anybody but Jake Allen apparently, <laughs> and 
now, you know, we you were wondering the same thing. Ben Bishop's always been like a quality starter, but last year was like a Vesna caliber starter. Right. And Anton Kudobin has always been a quality backup. Well, last year he played as a high level starter. Right. It's that's it's a lot to bank on happening really, again. Right. That amount of improvement is certainly outside the norm. And I'm sure it's a bit of both. I'm sure the goalies were playing well. I'm sure the defense was helping them. Mm-hmm. It's always a little bit of give and take. But the other thing there is, is can Bishop stay healthy, man? Mm-hmm. A goalie of his size, and it's never anything like seriously season-ending mm-hmm. for him, but it's always he always seems to tweak something or he's always battling something, and, and that has hurt Dallas in the past. It has, um, but I think... Even healthy, man. It's so much to ask for those goaltenders to repeat their performance. Oh, and, yeah, of course. And you really do wonder how much better did they get. Like, Joe Pavelski's great. I think he's going to continue to be great. That's a big upgrade for them. That's their Nazem Kadri. Yeah. Um, But it's after that, how much better did they get? We have no idea if Corey Perry has anything left in the tank. He was only just okay when he was healthy last season. And uh, Andre Sakara, we, we really don't know. If those guys rediscover their prime form in their 30s, then the stars are going to compete for the Central Division. They're not young down there even before that. If you're putting maybe Perry on a line with Blake Como and Andrew Cogliano, that's a lineup of, of guys who are well over 30 through through all of it. And I'm sure they'll get some of the young guys like Dickinson and Hintz up on that line. Mm-hmm. But their bottom six is is already starting to age out and they added age to it. Well, and of their 13 forwards currently projected to be on their roster, eight are already 30 or older. We talk right, about exactly. Minnesota and how they're old, but Dallas is Dallas is the real old team here. Yep. And uh of their of their forwards, of their highest paid guys, uh it's seven of their top eight. Yeah. are all 30 or older. Tyler Sagan is the only one who's not 30 years old. So yeah. this is, you know, you're playing with a lot of fire. On the clock, for sure. Their forward core averages 29 years of age. Their defense averages 27. Uh, and their their goaltending is 32, essentially. And even their defense is, is brought down significantly by the existence of Haskinen. Yeah. Who's five years younger than the next youngest guy in Lindell. Exactly. So there's certainly a lot of age there and, you know, maybe that veteran presence will help them. Maybe father time catches up with them. It, it could go either way. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> they are one of the, the, the teams in the NHL where I just, I, don't have a strong feeling for what to do with them. Uh, I also don't see, you know, well, what what about their graduation situation? Who's coming up? There's not a lot there for me. Um, Yeah, I agree with that. The guys that I do like are still a little ways away, but they've been burning through first rounders. You know, they just bought out Valerie Nachushkin. Dennis Gurionov sucks. Um, Riley Tufty never found his game in college. Uh, we talk about how uh, Cam Morrison stagnated. Uh, that Riley Tufty went backwards. Yeah. So that's never a good look. <laughs> yeah, and and they signed him on 
I'm I'm convinced they signed him just to save face, which is not something I typically believe teams really do. But I they they could not have felt like he was actually ready. I I'm assuming that they were like, look, this isn't working in college. Let's just get him into the AHL and hope that we get something out of him. Because yeah. a guy with his size and his skating ability, you know, he's six foot five and he's very fleet of foot. And that's what made him such an intriguing prospect in his draft year. But, you know, high school kids, you have no idea. And they they really have blown top pick after top pick after top pick. You know, they've even even at the bottom of their defense, who I completely overlooked, was Julius Honka. And that's a guy yep. who played 20 games for them last year as, as one of their as a as a first round pick and one of their top prospects for years. And now they're replacing him with old 30 year old guys because they yeah. just they can't get anything out of him. Right. So it's... this this is just not an impressive overall roster. There's they're they've got they've got some high end, you know, Sagan, Ben, Radulov, Pavelski. I can buy that. Uh the top three on their defense. Uh, I can buy that, but they need their goaltending to bail them out because offensively, they're just nowhere near good enough to play in the league of, you know, first to three wins. Yeah, it's they have often run into the same critique that the Avs had of of being a one line team, mm-hmm. and you look at the Avs depth and and their youth there and and semi consistent production beyond the second line at least. And that seems a lot more solid than what Dallas has in their bottom six. Well, Lake Como had 18 points last season, so it's the proof is the proof is in the pudding, man. Yeah, you know Colorado was 10th in the NHL last year in in goals uh, during the regular season. They scored 258 goals. Right. Dallas was 29th with 209 goals, and even with all the great goaltending that they got. They were still only a plus nine in goal differential. They, you know, they they gave up two hundred goals, which was the second lowest in the league, and that's that's great. But the teams around them that also gave up very little in terms of goals: the Islanders, Bruins, Preds, Blues, Coyotes, Lightning. Like that's oh, a wait, slew of really good defenses or uh, extremely fluky goaltending performances, right? And with Dallas, you have to feel like that it they could easily join the extremely fluky goaltending performances. And they haven't, you know, Pavelski is great again. And if Perry hits, then that offense should definitely take a step forward from scoring 209 goals. But Absolutely. given given how Colorado and Dallas do frequently get partnered up in a oh, you know, they're they're both just one-line teams. You know, the Avs scoring 49 more goals than them last year really goes to show you that the Avs really, you know, were they <laughs> were they driven by their top line? A hundred percent, of course. But they their depth was their depth was decent last year. It just wasn't reliable. You know, it wasn't like they had a really good second line. It was like they had three third lines. Well, right, exactly. two third lines and a black hole of a fourth line. <laughs> we don't talk about the fourth line. <laughs> right. But that's kind of what they want to do. The Avs have been trying to upgrade this year is that they want a first line, they want a second line, and two third lines. Right. And D- Dallas wanted to kind of do the same thing. 
but I don't know that they've gotten out of that yet. I don't know that their depth is enough for them to to say that they have two third lines. They might they might have fourth lines. Yeah, I I think that's perfectly fair to say based on what they have. It's it's going to be a really interesting year for them because I do believe that that they should be a, a playoff contender in the Central Division Definitely. just based off of what they have, but they're going to need strong defense, a strong goaltending performance to really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. They're, they're more in need of dominant goaltending than any other team in the central. Yeah, I agree. They're more reliant on it, not in need of it. They all need it, but you know, their their success is more dependent upon them doing, uh, having that elite goaltending than any of the other teams. Yeah. All right. I think that should just about do it for the second segment, half anime, half Dallas stars. Uh, But before we jump into our next segment, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. You already know that total beverage has the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado, but now they're delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. Plus they are now offering CBD products. That's right. From drinks to gummies, you can enjoy CBD products on your next visit for a limited time. Total Beverage is offering 20% off your purchase on their website and app. Use code BSN20 to save 20% off and have it delivered to your door. Coming up on the third segment, we're going to round out the Central Division with the Nashville Predators and their X-Factors, and we will be back with you in a minute. Third and final segment of the BSN Avalanche podcast here. We are Nathan and AJ. The Nashville Predators have been considered the top team in the Central Division for the past handful of years. The questions have have really started to prop up for them now on on can they really get over the hump. And the biggest X factor is the one they brought in, to me at least, in Matt Duchesne. He's had the opportunity to try and be the guy elsewhere, and up until this past season, it has not gone great, but he, he absolutely killed it in Ottawa and Columbus. So can he keep that up on a team that desperately needs a one C? It's fascinating. If you go back two years and well, I guess three years now, uh, you go back three years, Nashville's in the Stanley cup finals. And, you know, Winnipeg is, is like the next best team. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, these two teams are going to be it in the West for the next five years. Yeah. And just three years later, and this is, I bring this up because abs fans are, oh my God, we've got a decade to do this. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work out like that. If you fast three years ago, Winnipeg and Nashville were the two hottest teams in in the West. They were young and they were loaded with talent and they were definitely going to win something. And you fast forward three years. Winnipeg is arguably on the outside of the playoff picture looking in right now because they've lost so much. They went, they went for it so hard. Uh, the last couple of years, giving up first rounders, going all in on guys. Uh, they gave up enough that they are in trouble now. They're going to have yeah. trouble sustaining. And it didn't, their window looks like it could have closed just as quickly as it opened. 
I mean, they set the window on fire and it's burning down around them a little bit. <laughs> right. And I mean, like just a couple of years ago, they won the lottery. They got Patrick Line, and it was like it was it was a huge, huge step forward for them. Yep. And it was only ever looking up and everything was great. And now it's just a team full of question marks. And now and then you look at Nashville and what's the most common criticism of Nashville? They peaked. They they couldn't figure it out with PK Subban. They gave him away for a song, and then yeah. they they put their one C hopes on an emotionally volatile guy who has accomplished nothing in his career other than being a fan favorite everywhere he goes because he's a nice guy. But his his actual accomplishments have been minimal. Yeah. It took him it took him ten years in the NHL to get to score his first playoff goal. Yeah, he's never had a full 82-game season at point per game. He's Most of his seasons are, are sub-60 points. And, and yes, he does have the occasional year where he was, the Avs, he had a year he scored 70 points. Mm-hmm. This past year in Ottawa, he had 58 points and 50. But then you see the other side of him. He goes to Columbus, and he's a half a point per game player. Now mm-hmm. he did turn it up in the playoffs. But that's Matt Duchesne, notoriously streaky player. Mm-hmm. And... And, you know, it's lots of players out there are streaky. It's very, very, very common. And Matt Duchesne is the kind of guy, though, where when he's on, he scores three points in a single game, and he wins the game for you. Yep. But when he's not, he's a total black hole, and you're working around him. Yep. That's that's a tough go. How do you buoy that? Well, the Predators are arguably better suited for him than anybody else ever has been because Ryan Johansson – you can easily make the argument that Ryan Johansson is now one of the best two C's in the league. Yeah. Outside of, again, outside of guys who would be one C's anywhere else. As an actual two C, I think Johansson is right up there with Nazem Kadri as, uh, and, and better than Kadri, in fact. I would take Johansson over Kadri. Not just as a player, not in terms of contract no, and all it, the other stuff, but just as a player, I think Johansson's better than Kadri. I, uh, yeah, he's a 60-point player on the regular. I think he'd be pretty hard to argue against that. <laughs> right. But now as as a 2C, he's going to be very good. And it's not hard to see where Nashville says, okay, that one little adjustment is all that we need to do. Okay, well, hey, they're trying things out. And I've said this before that find me find me any any Stanley Cup winner in the last 20 years where a defenseman was their best player. Yeah. Mm, and be, yeah. I think the last time I did this, the, the group that I was talking to at the time, we came up with uh, Scott Niedermeyer with Anaheim. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Back but, in, uh, I think, 07. Yeah, that's when the Ducks won, I think. Uh, so yeah, it's They're very few and far between, though, for it's sure. It's hard to do. You need to have a transcendent forward, and they've always lacked that. And Ryan Johansson, Ryan Joe is a really good player. He's never been that. Can Matt Duchesne be that game breaker for them? I don't I don't know. It's yeah. always difficult for me just because we've always been so close to the Duchesne stuff. Yeah. It's always been hard to objectively view him in other markets. But it's also hard not to say he's a he's a perfect fit for what Nashville needed. He's a perfect fit for the Nashville culture. He's a perfect fit for that locker room. He's a perfect fit for Peter LaViolette and how he likes to his teams to play. 
it's, I mean, on paper, you couldn't have found a better match here. And so you've got to feel pretty good about how Nashville is. I mean, they're super balanced now. They've got that big three, which I think is how teams should be building their defenses around three stars and then complementary guys with, with specific skill sets and, and build out a crazy deep forward core. And they, I think they've done that and then get great goaltending and they've got Pecorine and UC Soros, who I think both are still really good. Certainly, I, at least in the regular season. <laughs> they are they are my Western Conference favorites. Yeah, I, and they deserve to be. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. My one problem that I have is, is going out and getting Matt Duchesne. It kind of feels like putting a Band-Aid over a wound that needs stitches. It. To compare it to the Avs, what the Avs had done over the past couple of years, and, and they tried to solve this problem this offseason, is they would go out and get a bunch of third liners and try them all on their second line. And, mm-hmm. and you end up with a, a second line of Carl Soderberg, Matt Calvert, and Matt Nieto. And you say, okay, well, one of those players is a legitimate second liner. The other two are just kind of getting you by. And I think when you're talking about your first line, that's just going to amplify the problem. And Matt Duchesne... Is he a first liner? Yeah, probably. Is he a first liner on a cup contender team? Boy, you'd have a hard time selling me on that. The team around him would have to be really good. Yeah. And, you know, where I think they they fall a little bit short is that Nashville's forwards, there's a bunch of good, not great. Yeah, exactly. You know, Philip Forsberg, everybody loves Philip Forsberg. He's a really good player, but... This is a guy that, one, has injury issues, and two, has never surpassed 64 points in a regular season. Yeah. So is he is he very good? Yeah, he is. He's a very good player. But there's a limit on that. You know, the, he's not an elite player. Victor Arvidsson is on one of the best contracts in the NHL, but this is also a guy coming off a 48-point season whose career high is 61. You know, so you're again, you're talking about good, not great. Right. That's that's great. Like when you look at, hey, if Colorado could get 60 point guys like that on their second line, they'd be killing it. But that's because they have 90, 80 point guys ahead of them. Right. Not more 60 point guys. They need that scoring by committee. And you're asking a lot to get that many career years out of that many guys. Yeah, well, and and it's kind of call it's kind of like Colorado. They're yeah. asking they're asking the same thing. They want they need career years out of everybody outside their top four. Pretty much, Burkowski, Donskoy, Comfer, Jost. You're all asking for mm-hmm. taking another step, and and Nashville's kind of in the same boat. But the guys they're asking this from are aren't as young. Arvidsson's 26, Forsberg's still 24, but you have a guy like Kyle Turris who has not figured it out in Nashville at 29, and, mm-hmm. and what are they going to do with him? Yep, that's one of their big question marks. I mean, he's coming off a 23-point season. Yeah. Making $6 million for the next five years. They may not be able to do anything with him right now. Exactly, and, and so there's a lot of puzzle pieces there, and they're still looking for the one that, that ties them all together, I think. Yeah. Well, and and they've run out of they. You can make the argument this is kind of their last hurrah. Yeah, Roman Yossi is on the last year of his deal. 
gonna at four paid. million dollars, and he's going to need a massive raise. And when we talk about X factors, I've got Yossi as the guy on the defense because now PK Subban is gone. It's got to, he's got to, and he's been the man for a couple of years now, but now he has to be the man. If he wasn't the man last year, hey, Matias Eckholm was there to bail him out. Ryan Ellis was there. PK Subban was there. There was, there was buffer there. And those other two guys are still there, but Subban is gone. And now Yossi needs to be elite for this, for this whole thing to work. Right. It's, especially the way Nashville plays and they love to run their offense through their defense. It's Yossi's not only got to, to play up to the ability that he's capable of, but he needs to play a ton of minutes. Like you're talking about Ryan Suter amounts of time that this guy is going to have to play and, and perform for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> It's it's funny to say that he has something to prove, but he does. He's the guy. He's got to show he can be the absolute unquestioned man on a blue line where he no longer is is surrounded by that same level of talent. He, right. He don't get me wrong. Incredible player. I would yeah. die to have him on the abs, but yeah. he's never been Brent Burns. He's never put up a point per game type season that just truly shoots you into the the upper echelon of you're one of the best offensive defensemen in the league. Yeah, well, I mean, one of those guys where the offense is so, so, so good right? that, you know, whatever he gives you defensively, you're like, oh, well, I'll, I'll take it. Exactly. You know, I think I think he's he's better defensively than those guys, but you're sure. right. He's he has not been he's been a very, very good offensive player. Right, and, and but, Nashville doesn't need the the high end defense from him. They need the offensive production, especially now lacking PK. Right, they need they need that. You know, they're looking to balance. You yeah. you take away a defender and you get a center in its place. You're looking to balance, but that means that Roman Yossi, at minimum, has to repeat the sixty point performances. Yep, I agree. He's got to be high fifties. You know, this is this is not a guy that if he if he gives them forty points, they could be in real trouble. Yeah, I he has to be the the spark for their defensive uh, players to to provide that offense, whether it be power play or five on five. Mm-hmm. Yes, Ekholm had a great year. You cannot rely on him to score forty points again. You just can't. It's it's going to come down to to Yossi being that guy to carry the torch. Yeah. Well, and they last year they had one of the worst power plays of the last 20 years. Yep. And I think a lot of that has to do with them forcing a two defenseman system because that's where their talent was. And we've seen time and time and time again, two defenseman systems produce less than four forward systems. And I think we might even be on the verge of seeing five forward systems get run out there. I agree. They should absolutely do it. If I'm the abs, I'd do it with what they have. Wouldn't think twice about it. Uh, I mean, I, I like Makar, so I'd, I want, I want yeah, to see no, it. But right. the second unit more is what I mean. <laughs> but, but even even if they ran five five forwards in their first unit and Makar on the second unit, I would do that, dude. I, I would sure. have no complaints with that. Like, I, I'm all for giving that a, a whirl. Why not? Uh, but for, for Nashville... 
I will say when we're talking about their X factors compared to the X factors of these, all the other central division teams that we've talked about, uh, Roman Yossi is the one that I am by far the most comfortable with. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's an X factor that you're already going, okay, he's really, really good. <laughs> he's awesome. Like he really yeah. is. He's awesome. But, right. uh, you know, I think, I think the, the last guy that, that we really, you know, we've touched on him, but I mean, Kyle Turris has to give him something, man. Yeah. The their Duchesne is iteration number three of them trying to find a one C and mm-hmm. and these other guys are starting to weigh him down a little bit. They also this is the last year they have Mikhail Granlund. I I mean maybe he resigns there, but he's gonna get paid if he does. So that's a big move that they went out to make to try and win and and this is kind of the end of the rope. Yeah. Um and I mean Craig Smith too. Craig Smith's yep. also in the last year of his deal. And Craig Smith has been a, a 20 goal guy for them forever and ever and ever. Yeah. You know, on a team that's lacked offense and he's not like a major playmaker or anything. He only gives them 30, 40 points, but 20 goals every year, you know, we're, we're talking about with Burakovsky yeah. in Colorado. The, uh, if you could give me, if I, if I knew Andre Burakovsky would give me 22 goals and 17 assists today, I would say hell yes. Take it and run. Hell yes. Oh my God. Yes. I would take that. And that's kind of who Craig Smith is. Yeah. And has been. And, you know, they're, they're looking at, okay, they're, you know, another team. What, what do they have coming? Well, they're not nearly as deep as they used to be. Uh, Their system has struggled to reproduce uh, high end guys. You know, they, they had, the superstar of all superstars of all overrated forward prospects in Eli Tolvanen because yep. he had a, he had a really, really good rookie year in the KHL and no surprise. He's struggled since coming over to North America. You know, it's, it's a faster game. It's an all around game and you can't be one dimensional the way that he has been for so much of his career. Uh, it, it was why I was iffy on him coming out in his draft year. And he's only enhanced that. What he does well, which is score goals, he does very well. But if he can't take the next step and be a high-end guy for them, they might be in some trouble uh, prospect-wise because there's not a lot on the way for them. Yeah, it's it's real thin and as far as their professional prospects are concerned, especially. It's not a ton to look forward to on the forward side. They do have Frederick Allard on the defensive side, which is a guy that I like. But yeah, I've liked him for a long time, but he just hasn't. Yeah, you know, at some point, a guy's got guy got a guy's got to make his move. Right. You you have to take the step eventually, and to break into Nashville's defensive core, especially, you have to be very good. Yeah, and you know they they gave Dante Fabro the first round treatment. They did. They, yeah, I mean they they dropped him in there and said, "All right, Dante Fabro, you dope, go do it." And hey, Fabro isn't dope. Yeah, you and I are both in agreement that we're not big Dante Fabro fans, but yeah. you know we'll we'll see. Of course, we'll see. Right. We're gonna talk about an X factor. That guy could be it if he's what you and I think. They're gonna be really struggling for quality defensemen yeah. beyond their top three. Right. If if they're right and he ends up being dope, then. He's a huge, huge, huge win for the damn, for the next two years on yeah. his ELC, uh, and 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 obviously if he's good, 
Right. That, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. The, the Nashville has Dante Fabro on an ELC in their lineup. And that's the end of the list of guys on ELCs they have. So they straight up need him to, to be worth more than that contract. Yeah. They need, they need a handful of their guys to significantly outplay their deals. Yeah. Uh, but then they also need guys to live up to some of their deals. You know, Nick Benino got, remember that? I mean, I've been critical of that deal from day one, and he's a 30-point guy that, that's Nick, making $4 million as now, you know, what is he, their third or fourth line center? Yeah. yeah Depending I, on what they do with Turris, because if they just move everybody down one, Duchesne, Johansson, right. Turris, and Bonino, they're insanely stacked at center, but they're also insanely overpaid paying 10 million dollars to their their third and fourth line centers yeah I, i've always thought benino was overrated he got super hyped off that first pittsburgh cup run where he was mr clutch but <laughs> it he doesn't produce enough for the contracts he's been given in his career yeah i i mean the guy's always been sort of the same offensive caliber player yeah. uh he had he had one year a million years ago with anaheim where it was like, whoa. And then he had one amazing playoff run, as you mentioned, with, with Pittsburgh. But after that, like he's been the same guy forever. Right. Pretty average third liner type scoring. Yeah. <laughs> and not worth over $4 million. But. Yeah. It's. It'll be interesting to me to see how Nashville shakes out especially at the trade deadline this year because always aggressive yeah they you always see Poyle try and go do something and a lot of the time it doesn't help them very much yeah they give up win uh they give a brian hartman and a a pick for wayne simmons last year who scored one goal yeah second rounder for brian boyle too it was and that, hey, that worked out even that worked out a lot better than Simmons did, but that's still a second round pick. I mean, it did it work? Yes, he he did better than than Simmons, but he was a healthy scratch in the playoffs then for them. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, second round pick that's a super high price uh, for the cost of doing business at the deadline, which is right. why you should avoid the deadline entirely. I mean, I guess the Evs gave up a third for Derek Broussard, so there's that. But hey, they got more out of Broussard than uh, they got out of Simmons. True, very true. Which is sad. <laughs> but but yeah, Brian it's... Boyle end up signing anywhere, or is he still sitting around? I don't actually know. I don't remember seeing him sign. No, but... he's still a UFA because I know the Evs talked to him in their ever their their insistent quest to find a. Uh, a fourth line guy, you know, Ryan Carpenter. And then they ended up with Belmar on Belmar. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, it's very interesting to see those, those guys start to get phased out of the league. It's, it's strange with Boyle. who's such a character guy. Yeah. Right. He's someone that everybody always loves. And and he's always been good for, uh, he's, he's always been good for, 10 goals every yeah. every single year. Set and forget. Don't even worry yeah. about it. Fourth line job, he's going to give you 10 goals. No problem. But he's not going to create any other offense for you. Pretty much. It's, yeah, it, it's tough to, 
to make it all work and and you just shouldn't go out and get guys like Brian Boyle at the deadline. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. Um Yeah, that the, probably uh, uh another podcast episode for that one. <laughs> yeah, we can do an entire show about the trade deadline and why it just doesn't work. Yeah. And it's not it's it's crazy too cuz it's not even like a hockey thing. It's every sport. <laughs> you know, the trade deadline, like baseball's trade deadline is a huge deal. And every single year you see these teams do something, some of the, and maybe one deal a year works out. Right. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, the NBA and the NBA trade deadline is funny because it's more notable for all the veteran players, all the veteran bench players that will get traded and bought out by their teams and then fill the free agent market for all the good teams to compete for their services for. Yeah. And that's how the, that's how the NBA trade deadline works. Like it's not very many teams are making meaningful trades there. It's the buyout market that ends right. up being so robust. Right. And in hockey, the trade deadline is a huge deal and teams go crazy. And I mean, you can go through all of history, all of, all of the last 15 years and, Good luck finding high, high impact deadline guys. Yeah. Arguably the best impact deal Joe Sackick has made is for Sven Andrigetto. So <laughs> there it is. You know, in a 48 point season. Right. <laughs> uh, well, that, on that delightful note, my God. Yeah. The good news is we won't be targeting Sven Andrigetto's this season, or at least the abs shouldn't be. Uh, that can be uh, Nashville if they want. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for this episode. It it rounds out a lot of the question marks of the Central Division, and, and it's interesting to see there's a lot of teams in the same boat as the Avs are mm-hmm. this season. And it's someone's X-Factors are going to work out, and who's due is, is going to be the difference. Yeah, and certainly there's always the guys we never see coming. Right. Of course, you know, someone always comes out of nowhere. We had no idea Dylan Strom was going to matter at all in the Central Division. Yep. No idea. And then he shows up, and he's a huge X factor for Chicago. Yeah, Although they're if not he, in the playoff race at all without him. If he works out, I just don't understand the Kirby Doc pick. Yeah, that does get a little – you get a little backed up there with centers for sure. Like – and if and if and if Strom busts and falls apart, then sure, it makes all the sense in the world. But their their approach has been so weird all summer. It really has. Yoki Haru for Nylander, what are you doing? You you're so desperate for defensive help that you're going out and you're getting mediocre NHL players who are locked down. Yep. And betraying the own rebuild process. It was like, it was almost like Chicago got close enough to the postseason last year to talk themselves into them being right. a contender again. And so that's how they were going to go back to operating. They no more like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to continue to try to build with some of these young guys. We're going to be smart. We're going to take our time. They were like, nah, screw it. We almost made the playoffs last year. We're contenders again. Jonathan Taves will totally give us 80 points for the rest of that contract. <laughs> we got this. Yeah, it's. I hate buying to try and get into the playoffs. You buy to try and win, <laughs> and yeah, I, uh, um, I'm iffy on that. Just because getting in matters more than I, anything else, but I get it. Yeah, it's like 
are are you buying to be a 90 point team or are you buying to be to go from a 95 point team to a 98 point team right you know like them buying last year just because the west was so low like it made sense sure what they ended up buying and the approach they took always is questionable that's always up for debate <laughs> yeah but it's so many when we look at the central Really, all of these teams except Minnesota, I feel strongly, could be top three in the division. Yeah, it's it's definitely a a very tight division. It always has been. I've oh always gosh. a lot of people have always called it the Thunderdome, and you see it every year, whether at the deadline or in the off season. It's always an arms race of, of teams just stacking stuff on and on and on. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes the missiles you get are duds and sometimes they blow up in your face and sometimes they're dead on target. And that's why they play the games, I guess. Just on paper, it doesn't matter. What happens is on the ice is, is what makes the difference. So on that note, I guess we'll go ahead and call this one. Thank you guys for listening. We got a fun week planned ahead probably talking about a lot of the the top players throughout mm. the nhl and right we do need to bit of an update on the upcoming uh bsn be a gm draft we have coming the first wave of invites has been out for a while now there are still a few of you that have not responded so we do need to hear back from you soon if we don't hear back from you, we are going to send out that second wave and, and people will start getting more invites so we can fill out the entire 32-team draft. And AJ, I'm sure you have a couple other things to say on it as well. Uh, I'm Honestly, that's pretty much it. Um, oh, we've go. got, uh, by my count, we have 24 of our 32 GMs already locked in and set. Um, I am, that's, we have, we've got seven people uh, who have not gotten back to us at all after we sent out the I sent out the email I believe on Friday. Uh, it's Monday. If we don't hear anything from any of the people I sent those emails to by the end of the day, uh, as Rudo mentioned, a second wave of GM invites will go out, and uh, people will you know will the the if those first people do eventually respond, then you know we'll we'll move them into backup roles because that's. Just kind of the position that we're in right now. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we we don't have any uh, MIAs for this. We do want everybody, so we're being a little little cutthroatish about it. But we do have 20, uh, 24 GMs already locked in. Uh, thanks to all those guys who are ready to rock, and we're still working on uh, coming up with uh, the draft list and all that all that stuff. Um, but excited to, to to get that that locked in and everybody kind of going. Uh, we will assign teams and draft order later this week. That'll probably be Wednesday or Thursday, so you'll have a couple of days to prepare for your draft slot and all that. Um, but that's sh- that's should be about it. Uh, I'll continue to to push out on the on the podcast to remind people. Check your emails. Uh, I responded directly to all the email addresses that were given to me that you guys emailed me with. So. You know, check spam folders, whatever, whatever you got to do to make sure that you guys are responding to those emails. And uh, I'm hoping that we can get all these locked down, uh, all the GM spots locked down by Wednesday. And then 
the bar crawl, bar crawl, bar crawl, bar crawl. Come yeah. out and do that with us. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a big event. We've never done anything quite like it. Uh, we obviously want this to be successful, and we absolutely want to see all you guys out there this weekend. That's it for me. There you go. Perfect. A week ahead of some of the best players in the NHL to consider for that draft, and then we'll cap it off with a bar crawl and a, a draft in the morning. So it should be a really fun week. That is it for this Monday show, and you will hear from us tomorrow. Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com.